bronze holds a special meaning in Chinese culture. The Bronze Age, starting around 1700 BC, has had profound impact on the development of the Chinese civilization. Even today, artistic bronzeware still impresses many people, and one particular craftsman of bronze art named Zhu Bingren has been exploring innovative ways to bring new vitality to this ancient craft. This kind of copper melting technique is unprecedented. We are throwing away the molds and letting the metal flow freely, allowing it to take its natural shape. Of course, we are offering a little artistic guidance, exploring the metal's fullest potentials. In this episode of Footprints, let's follow Chun Li to take a look at what Jews' bronze artistic creations are like and how he has revitalized this ancient craft. Stay tuned. Hangzhou, capital of East China's Zhejiang province, boasts the largest number of bronze architectures. People can board a traditional cruise ship on West Lake, or view the exquisite decorations at the Lingying Temple. And the man behind these bronze wonders is veteran artisan Zhu Bingren. Zhu was born in Shaoxing City in Zhejiang Province to an artisan family with over a century of tradition. The Zhu family was originally known for its literary traditions. Zhu Qingwen, one of the forefathers, was a famous original calligrapher. In 1875, brothers Zhu Qingwen and Zhu Yuxiang started their own workshop, selling bronzeware utensils. At the time, the move drew a certain amount of derision. But for Zhu Bingren, the literary tradition is far from lost, but rather embedded in their bronzeware making. Their literary background will set them apart from other artisans. In Chinese culture, bronzeware was often regarded as the vessels of kings, signifying the mystery, solemnity, and majesty of the imperial court, royal power, and order. We could still get a glimpse of it with pieces like the sword of King Goujian of Yue from the spring and autumn period, and the chime bells from the tomb of Marquis Yi of Zeng from the Warring State period. Even after iron replaced bronze for weapons and utensils, bronzeware was still greatly valued and used. Zhu Bingren believed that's why his ancestors started the workshop, and following generations carried on and improved the craft. And Zhu hopes to take a step further with his own visions. In 1995, he broke ground by creating the first bronze murals of Guanyin, the goddess of mercy. He later extended the use of bronze to calligraphy harking back to his family's original literary traditions. I've helped with the interior design of the Diao Yutai State Guesthouse in Beijing with our bronzeware. The team got hold of eight pieces of Mr. Qigong's calligraphy. I expressed to them there is maybe another way to present the calligraphy work by converting it to bronzeware, which has never been done before, but I can do it perfectly.
For Zhu, the year 1998 was extremely productive. Combining Brown's craft with his unique understanding of calligraphy, he transferred the flow of ink on paper to gleaming solid browns, winning critical acclaim from the art community. And the family brand shined more brightly than ever. The next year, Zhu created the epic Brown's mural featuring the Tang monk Xuanzang's journey to the west for the Big Wild Goose Pagoda in Xi'an, capital of northwest China's Shanxi province. Zhu experimented with the percentages of copper. The different oxidations enabled him to paint different colors and layers. For this painting, I've used my own method of coloring copper. For thousands of years, key techniques of bronze ware have stayed the same with ancient skills passed down from our ancestors, and we are now able to show the craft to a wider audience. Zhu considers copper a material with infinite possibilities, also solid enough to stand the test of time. And he has taken his knowledge and artistic vision to restoring a masterpiece along West Lake in Hangzhou. The Leifeng Pagoda was first built in 976 AD. It's known throughout the country thanks to the popular folktale, the Legend of the White Snake. In 1924, the pagoda collapsed after years of repeated lightning strikes and war damage. In the 2000s, restoration officially began, and Zhu was invited to be part of the team. He saw more than the original brick and wooden structure. By using copper, he wanted to restore Leifeng Pagoda to not just inspire but endure. At the time, I was already thinking about a bronze version to restore the Guilin Pagoda. So why don't we restore Leifeng Pagoda with a bronze one? If we were to build it as a bronze structure, the Leifeng Pagoda would stand out among some 3,400 pagodas in the country. Otherwise, it would be just one of the 3,400, like any other, without its own unique cultural background. From the restoration aspect, a copper coating would significantly lower the risk from fire, thunder, and insects. And from the artistic aspect, there was much more. Instead of the usual red or turquoise of copper, Zhu saw an entire palette. After extensive research in archives and numerous trials and errors, Zhu was able to make his vision come true. We've used a lot of colors here. In addition to the color of copper oxide, there is also the coating color, that is the paint. We blended different paints with the natural color and the golden color of copper. Taking atmospheric erosion into consideration, we believe it will be able to preserve for a long period of time. Zhu's colored copper sculpting technique had never been applied in construction and engineering field before. Experts had a lot of questions. Zhu didn't back down. By citing past examples of the use of Brown's art in traditional structures. Zhu was finally able to convince the team, and the result was stunning. Zhu went on to create Brown's architectural wonders in the following years. He restored other ancient structures, including the Golden Summit on Emei Mountain and Shanghai's Xing'an Temple. For Zhu, Brown's can take any shape 
and present any color he can imagine. With his innovative vision and skillful techniques, the Browns' age is once again palpable. A sudden fire in 2006 ruined one of Jew's works, but also provided him with an opportunity to think outside of the box and keep pushing the limits. Now let's take a short break. When we come back, let's explore how the artist drew inspiration from the accident for a new technique. Stay tuned. From north to south, east to west, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. Midsummer in Hangzhou when temperatures soar, but the heat doesn't stop Zhu Bingren from experimenting with molten copper. With help from his team. Zhu pours it onto straw and sawdust, then waits. He's eager to see what shape and texture it will take. Every attempt is different and unpredictable. So many flowers, beautiful with different layers. When you let molten copper flow freely, you could get this versatile beauty. We didn't expect it at first. In fact, Zhu's idea for the molten copper technique comes from an accident. A sudden fire in 2006 ruined one of his works, but also gave him the chance to think outside the box and push the limits. On May 25, 2006, our team was building Tianning Pagoda in the city of Changzhou. A fire occurred during the construction process. It was quite alarming. The eaves of the lower part of the pagoda all burnt down. When clearing up the site, Zhu was amazed to see the free-flowing molten copper has solidified and formed beads in all shapes and sizes. It's not just the shape, but also the texture on the surface. It's breathtaking. It dawned on me: if you let copper out of the constraint of molds, it can fully show its unique qualities and turn into something completely new. A watched flower never blooms, but an unintended willow grows. The most brilliant ideas often come from trivial events in life. The epiphany pushed Zhu into repeated experiments. Copper can remain liquid for long, so it's difficult to work with. After thousands of trials and errors, Zhu figured out the technique. This kind of copper melting technique is unprecedented. We are throwing away the molds and letting the metal flow freely, allowing it to take its natural shape. Of course, we are offering a little artistic guidance, exploring the metal's fullest potentials. For the artist, the technique also marked the turning point of his art journey. His copper painting Chue Li, which shows a withered lotus standing firmly, is his first attempt with the technique. It's been collected at the National Museum of China, along with ancient bronze works. 
I hope to show artistic expressions from different art genres in this work. The appearance of this work shows the birth of a new art genre. Zhu said ancient wisdom inspired his innovation in bronzeware art. Every time he visits the National Museum of China, he always lingers in front of the bronzeware from thousands of years ago. Behind every relic, there is a history, and together they form the splendid Chinese civilization. Zhu's unique vision for bronze art is also attracting overseas attention. In 2018, at the invitation of the Royal Academy of Fine Arts Antwerp, Zhu embarked on a series of cultural exchange activities. He also hosted a solo exhibition in Berlin, showing Western audiences how this ancient craft could be reinvigorated. For him, bronze represents the former glory of Chinese civilization, but can also represent modern-day China with a history so rich and profound, and bursting with innovation and potential at the same time. Now let's take another short break. When we come back, we'll visit a museum of bronze art in the city of Hangzhou, built by Zhu Bingrun. Stay tuned. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. My this music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. Artist Zhu Bingren's first bronze art museum, Jiangnan Bronze House, was designed to recreate the most typical Jiangnan-style residences of the Ming and Qing era, or roughly speaking, from the 14th to the early 20th century. Jiangnan, which refers to regions south of the lower reaches of the Yangtze River, has long been eulogized by poets for its exquisite style. Walking inside the Jiangnan Bronze House is like embarking on a journey back in time. Visitors get to see elaborate bronze sculptures in courtyards and corridors, and the rooms are fully furnished with pieces made of bronze. Many people wonder why we want to build the bronze house. Well, actually, we are building a place for our offspring to inherit the bronze craft. The Jiangnan Bronze House also houses Zhu's collection of historical archives related to bronze art, as well as some of his past creations for the public to savor. He says he always tries to add new pieces. The museum currently hosts more than 2,000 bronze artworks of Zhu, including a wide range of genres. For instance, this installation is one of the centerpieces. It shows the bronze version of the traditional blue and white porcelain. Dozens of blue and white bronze vases were placed with the backdrop matching the patterns on the vases, all of which give visitors a really immersive experience. When creating these bronze vases, Zhu used a special molten copper technique to make the irregular cutouts. He explained that he wanted to retain the traditional shape. But also add a modern twist. However, the coloring process turned out to be quite a challenge, as the glaze used for ceramics didn't cling to the copper surface. Taking inspiration from traditional coloring techniques like enamel, Zhu was able to find a way to add a color coating to bronze under a high temperature. 
From a technical perspective, the coloring of blue and white porcelain is similar to that of lacquerware. It usually takes about 12 coloring steps, then to the furnace to roast, and there's the burnishing. Then we'll finally get the flowy and smooth texture, and the color will come out. That's why every piece of blue and white porcelain is unique, is very versatile. Letting more people feel the beauty of the metal and allowing the bronze age to once again be palpable is exactly why Drew built the museum in the first place. He had also designed a series of bronze cultural products, including teaware and ornaments. Here we see the bronze version of some of the most famous paintings from the Palace Museum, something that hasn't been done before. In the past, it's impossible to take the cultural legacy from the Palace Museum into your home. But now you can possess these bronze paintings and the cultural heritage can be passed down. We are now raising the concept of letting copper return to everyday life. The gradual disappearance of copper from our daily life is not that of a product or a lifestyle, it's a cultural change. The cultural line is lost, which is painful for me to see. Since 2014, Zhu has been serving as a consultant for cultural and creative product development at the Palace Museum. And he's eager to explore new possibilities for the museum's vast collection of brownsware. The Palace Museum houses more than 15,000 pieces of brownsware from different dynasties. Many are close to national treasures, like the rectangular vessel with crane and lotus designs. Zhu would have an easy task replicating some of them. However, to everyone's surprise, he's eyeing up the painting Five Oxen. One of the key points in designing cultural products for the Palace Museum is to make use of the cultural elements within the relics instead of simple replication. I hope to discover and give new vitality to the ancient relics. The five oxen is a realistic painting. The painters show the five oxen with different postures, colors, and painting methods, which are rarely seen in other traditional Chinese paintings and the use of seal stamps is also different. All these serve as a great inspiration for our artistic creations. The veteran artist is also looking to engage the younger generation by mixing the ancient craft with modern art. In 2011, he took his bronze art to Beijing's 798 Art District, known for presenting creative and avant-garde art. Revitalizing the time-honored craft has been his lifelong pursuit. And Zhu says he's ready to surprise people more as he keeps on creating and breaking boundaries. Now let's take another short break. In the final part of our story, we'll see how Zhu Bingren pushed for the Grand Canal to be added to UNESCO's World Heritage List. Stay tuned. I love you. I This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. The West Lake and the Grand Canal, two of Hangzhou's most famous scenic spots. Starting in Beijing in the north 
and ending in Hangzhou in the south. The Grand Canal is the oldest and longest man-made canal in the world, with a history of over 2,500 years. Zhu had a vision of building two bronze bridges for the two iconic spots. His plan never got implemented due to various reasons. However, what Zhu didn't expect is that he was later able to build two bridges bearing more cultural significance. The bronze bridge would serve as a cultural heritage and also show the status and influence the Grand Canal has on the people. For me, it's a pity that things didn't go as I planned. Every year, Zhu would always find time to visit the Grand Canal, keeping a close eye on the changes happening along the canal. His footsteps could be found along the Yangzhou, Hangzhou, and Beijing legs of the canal. For him, the canal bears his emotions and triggers his responsibility to do something to revive its ancient glory. In mid-December 2005, Zhu met with cultural relic expert Luo Zhewen, an expert on ancient architecture Zheng Xiaoxie in Hangzhou. Zhu mentioned with regret that his plan to build a bronze bridge on the canal had got cancelled. Sensing Zhu's disappointment, Zheng said that they could build an invisible bridge, one that would transcend its history of over 2,000 years. During our discussions, the two seniors told me not to regret, as there's something new we can do. Together, we could build a new bridge connecting the Grand Canal to the status of the world cultural heritage. It's a great opportunity for me to be part of this effort. It's also a great honor for me to be part of something of this significance in China's cultural history. The Grand Canal stretches for almost 1,800 kilometers, and is one of the greatest hydraulic projects in human history. Constructed in sections starting from the 5th century BC, it was conceived as a unified means of communication for the empire in ancient China's Sui Dynasty, from 581 to 618. With an average age of 79 years old, the three veterans agreed unanimously that the protection and inheritance of the Grand Canal was imminent. Together, they drafted an open letter expressing the urgency and importance of protecting the cultural heritage of the Grand Canal, which served as the prologue for the canal's application for UNESCO's World Heritage List. The canal is a living cultural heritage. It flows through so many provinces and cities, so the application requires joint efforts from places along the way. Through our letter, we hope to speed up the protection and application process for the Grand Canal. The year following their letter, under the guidance of the National Cultural Heritage Administration, a special campaign to examine the Grand Canal's resources was initiated. Hoping to have his own share in the application process, Zhu turned to his forte and poured his passion and knowledge of the Grand Canal into a large-scale bronze mural. He also raised a brand new concept of zero protection for the Grand Canal. 
Zero protection is not no protection at all. It is an idea, a way to develop the economy and tourism along the canal while keeping the history. We should let the culture endure and continue to inspire future generations. Zhu finally saw his efforts come to fruition when the Grand Canal was officially inscribed onto UNESCO's World Heritage List in 2014. He didn't see the physical bridge he'd intended to build on the Grand Canal, but he has built another one, bonding the ancient cultural legacy with all Chinese. And the bridge he first conceived for Hangzhou's West Lake is now placed in a more suitable place. Back then, the bridge was intended for Hangzhou. We named it Yongjin Bridge. However, we didn't get to keep it in the city due to poor liaison. Then it came to my mind that maybe we could offer it as a friendly gesture for proud-strait relations, so I raised the possibility of offering it to Taiwan. In April 2006, Lingying Temple in Hangzhou and the Chongtai Zen Temple in Nantuo County of Taiwan became sister temples. And Zhu decided to give the bridge to Lingying Temple and let them offer the gift. He also added scenic spots from the two places to the bronze decorations on the bridge. The bridge was first designed as a scenic spot, that's the name Yongjing Bridge. But later the bridge served as a token of crowd-strait cultural exchanges, a gift to Taiwan's Chongtai Zen Temple from Lingying Temple of Hangzhou. It signifies that we descend from the same ancestors, so the name was changed from Yongjing to Tongyuan. For Zhu, an artisan's mission is more than just inheriting and saluting traditions, but also innovating and thinking about what traditions can bring to modern society. And he's bringing that into practice, helping endangered traditional handicrafts find a new lease of life. A lot of traditional handicrafts are now endangered. They have become intangible cultural heritages. But what and how can we inherit from these heritages? I think it's crucial for our modern craftsmen to come up with major innovations. Throughout his prolific career, Zhu has built a lot of bronze bridges, leaving cultural symbols for the world to wonder. But he's also building invisible bridges with his determination to preserve and promote traditional cultural legacies. And his spirit will continue to inspire generations to come. Thank you, Chun Li. With that, we conclude this episode of Footprints. Thank you for listening. I'm Tony Reed. If you're interested in hearing more about the lives of ordinary people in China, Follow us on Apple Podcasts. Just key in Footprints, and you can find more stories anytime, anywhere. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.